we begin worship this evening, I'd like to thank you for the opportunity of being with you today. Uh, I'm very grateful for um, coming here totally fed up tonight. <laughs> thank you, Jill, for your hospitality. It has been good to be with you. It's good to see faces that I recognize, and uh, I trust that the Lord will bless us as we share fellowship tonight. But we gathered to worship our God, so let's come into his presence and seeking his face. Almighty and eternal God, we draw near to you. We thank you that you are the God of all grace. We thank you for your many mercies to us. And we thank you tonight, Lord, that we can come into the presence of the Christ Holy God because God so loved the world that he sent his Son. But we thank you too that uh, we come tonight because you have first come to us. Lord, be merciful to us, bless our time together this night, and may your name be honoured, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our first hymn this evening is 672, um, probably the majority of us would look at it and say, oh yeah, it's how great thou art, but it's how great thou art with a difference. Um, written by a dear friend of ours, Mrs. Elinid Harrison. Uh, called home to glory just a matter of weeks ago. But um, a, a great hymn written uh, in last century and um, one that honours our God. O Lord my God, I stand and gaze in wonder on the vast heavens thy wisdom hath ordained. Sun, moon and stars continue at thy pleasure from nothing called and by thy power sustained. Let's rise and praise our God.
We turn to God's Word now as it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, very familiar passage of Scripture. I want to read the first three verses and then we will take up our Lord's teaching in verse 11. Luke chapter 15, let us hear God's Word. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And he spake this parable unto them, saying, We turn to verse 11. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the youngest son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. And when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his eldest son was in the field, as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. But he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he, answering, said to his father, Lo, these many years I do serve thee, neither I transgressed at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf, and he said unto him, Son, 
Thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. We thank God for his most holy word. We sing again the uh, praise of God in the hymn 120. Um, written by Vernon Hyam, and I don't know if any of you have been watching a series on uh, YouTube from the Heath Church, um, A Story to Tell, um, and uh, there were people interviewed um, who were part of the Heath Church in the 60s and 70s, and they said that uh, Mr. Hyam had gone through a serious illness, and it was after he had come through that crisis in his life that he seemed uh, more able to write various hymns. I don't think this was the immediate one that was written up as I saw a new vision of Jesus, but this is a particularly powerful hymn. Great is the gospel of our glorious God, where mercy met the anger of God's rod. A penalty was paid and pardon bought, and sin is lost. At last to him we brought. Let's sing to the praise of our God.
Our Father and our God, we thank you that the hymnist declares so clearly that the Spirit vindicated Christ our Lord, the one who had been despised and rejected of man, the man who came unto his own, and yet his own received him not, the one who travelled to the city of Jerusalem and wept over it and said, Oh, how I would have gathered you as a hen gathers chicks, but you would not. Totally rejected, sealed in a tomb, and expected to be kept there. But we thank you that another hymnist says, Up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. And tonight we thank you that we worship not only a risen Saviour, but we worship an ascended Saviour, one who is seated at the right hand of the Majesty on high, one indeed who prays for us, one indeed who, having presented his body as a substitute for us, now sits at the right hand of the Majesty on high, praying, praying for each of his people, praying for those who are as yet not converted but who will indeed be drawn and will be numbered amongst that host that no man can number from every language, tribe, and nation, and tongue. And we come to you tonight, and we thank you for our Saviour. But, Father, we thank you for sending him. We thank you tonight, Lord, that we don't worship a God who is in rebellion against uh, each person, but we worship a God who made of three persons yet has one purpose and we thank you that the Father sent the Son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins we thank you Lord that in eternity past you um, prepared a bride for your Son and you sent him to pay the bride price to make peace with you and we thank you that even while our Saviour walked this earth, he indeed had fellowship with you. He rose early in the morning uh, to go aside and to, to be with you. When confronted by um, the taunts of your people, he sought you in prayer. Hanging on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Lord and God, tonight we thank you for such a glorious Father, one whom we can address as our Father. And um, as Paul says, uh, we can use that intimate term, Abba, Father, Daddy. We come to you and we are so grateful tonight that you do not keep us at a distance, but because of the finished work of Calvary, we can, can come in great confidence. Blessed Holy Spirit, we thank you that you draw no attention to yourself, but you have come that you might give glory to our God, but you have come that you might work in our hearts, that for the unconverted you might open their hearts, that they might believe. Uh, for the converted you have come to open blind eyes and to give us understanding. And tonight we pray that you would be manifest in our midst. You would be active. You would indeed uh, open hearts. You would open eyes. 
and may we indeed give glory to our God. We come to you tonight, blessed Holy Trinity, and we thank you for your grace and mercy to us. Lord, come and meet with us, we pray, and use every part of this meeting for your glory. As we pray for ourselves, we remember your people, the length and breadth of this land, and ask you to be merciful. We pray for those, Lord, in the war-torn situation in Ukraine at the moment. Lord and God, comfort them with a comfort that you alone can give, and may they know your gracious presence. Give wisdom to leaders who have to respond to this awful catastrophe. We pray, Father, that you would give peace in our time. We remember too, Lord, those who are unwell and pray that you would comfort them. Uh, we would pray for healing. We remember those, Lord, who mourn, those who mourn for the loss of loved ones uh, who have been taken away in that final journey. But we pray for those who mourn tonight because they have loved ones who are still breathing and yet relationships have been severed because of a mind that is unsettled. Lord, would you give peace at this time? Would you comfort those who have to live with the tragedy of loved ones who perhaps no longer uh, recognize them? Lord, be merciful. And tonight we pray that people would know the love of the Savior who went to the tomb of his friend and who wept. Lord, we come to you now tonight. We would, in, in a way, extend our prayer. But Lord, you, you tell us not to heap words upon words, but we come and pray, Lord, hear us. Be merciful to us, the sinners. Forgive our sin. Be pleased to visit us, not because of our merit, but because of your grace. And Lord and God tonight, honour your name in this place, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Our third hymn tonight um, points us to our Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. It's 554. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let's sing his praise. Jesus. 
Um, no, yeah. no we'll, we'll make up for that in the last one. Um, well, we want to come to this passage of Scripture that we've read together this evening, Luke chapter 15. Um, in reality, I want to um, look at a criticism that was made of the Lord Jesus Christ and develop the wonderful truth that is contained within that criticism and uh, in particular with the way that Jesus himself develops it. If you get your Bibles open, you'll notice that in Luke 15 and verse 2, it says, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. And um, this was um, almost spat out by the Pharisees and the scribes, those who saw themselves as the last bastions of the truth. And um, they uh, felt that they had to um, attack the Lord Jesus Christ and keep him in his place. This is one of the most famous passages in the Bible. Um, in many ways, people see it as three separate parables. Um, and um, we, we have the parable, they say, uh, of the, the lost sheep in verses 4 to 7, uh, the parable of the lost coin in verses 8 to 9, and then the remainder of the chapter, or verses 8 to 10 rather, and the remainder of the chapter taken up with the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son. But in actual fact, if you read verse 3, we are told, and he spake this parable unto them. Jesus was telling three stories to get across one particular point. And um, it is so easy to miss what is going on in this chapter. Often people will criticize us because of our convictions. And Jesus was criticized like that. Uh, even as he hung on the cross, uh, people virtually spat in his face and said, um, this man saved others. Himself he could not save. And that's a glorious truth. He could not save himself. In order to save us, he had to die on the cross. The scribes and the Pharisees thought that they were um, attacking him when they said, this man receives sinners and welcomes them, or this man receives sinners and eats with them. And Jesus took that, and I heard one preacher on one occasion um, say, or use this term, you bet he does, you bet he does. And that is the truth that Jesus wants to pick up here. Jesus is responding to a, a criticism that has come. And it's one of the tools that he used in his teaching. He, didn't, he wasn't like me. He hadn't sat down in his study and prepared a sermon and brought it along. He would be listening to what was going on around him. And he'd say, oh, I'll pick up on that. And he picks up on this criticism. And in effect, Jesus, in these three stories, is saying, yes... I do welcome sinners. Yes, I will eat with them. 
But I want you to know that in actual fact, I go out looking for them. I don't avoid them. I go looking for them. That's clearly stated um, after the story of Zacchaeus, that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that is the point that is being in, made in this first story. A man had a hundred sheep. One was missing. He went out and he looked for it. He didn't just leave it. And then in the second story, we have this woman who's lost a silver coin. And I don't believe she was uh, counting through a loose change. She had a, um, a necklace that was uh, probably hung around her head. And there was a coin missing from that. Um, had she been given this necklace by someone she loved? Was it something that she had inherited from her mother? Certainly, it was something that she valued. And Jesus is saying, not only do I receive sinners, but I go looking for them. And not only do I look for them, but I value them. Friends, I want you to understand that tonight. We are not mere human beings. We are people created in the image of God. Every child born into this world is a gift from God. And Jesus is saying, yes, I'll receive them, but I'll go out looking for them. And the Great Commission illustrates that, doesn't it? Jesus told his disciples to go into all the world and to make disciples. And tonight, I want to say to you, if you are feeling that uh, you are worth nothing, remember what Jesus teaches here in this parable, that um, in this story, he values sinners. But tonight, I want us to focus and give the majority of our time to the last of these stories. In your church Bible, it's, it's uh, entitled The Parable of the Lost Son, not part of inspired scripture. And I believe that when we emphasize the prodigal son, when we give our attention to the prodigal son, we are not actually understanding the strength of what Jesus is teaching in this story and in this uh, series of three stories, one parable. He is responding to these religious critics who think they have got it all right, to these who think that um, other people have missed the boat, uh, they have uh, been misguided by the carpenter of Nazareth. And um, he is wanting to say, look, I want you to understand what God really um, feels about his creation and about his people. Luke arranges his gospel in such a way that the early part of it gives us a number of miracles um, elevating the Lord Jesus Christ, showing his power, showing his distinction. And then in Luke 9 and verse 51, we are told that he set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
probably about 18 months before he was crucified. And Luke's teaching at that point changes. Not such a great emphasis on the miracles, but he emphasizes the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what we have got here. Jesus teaching um, truth that it is so vital for us to understand. I want us tonight to see the three main characters in this third story. And I want us to begin with the prodigal's brother because I believe that Jesus is directing this story to these critics. We are told here in verse 11 that a certain man had two sons. So often we see just the wayward son. But Jesus is responding to this criticism. And therefore he's saying there are two sons. The older and the younger. The one who went off and lived it up for a few years. But I believe that Jesus in uh, this parable and that the series is saying to those who have criticized him, look, I want you to understand this. I want you to understand the danger that you are in, in your religious contentment. Matthew records a similar story where a man had two sons and um, he said to them, go and work in my vineyard. The first one says, no, I'm not going to go. Um, and he, um, no, the first one, um, well, anyway, let's just get this. Um, one says, yes, I will go, and he didn't go. The other said, no, I won't go. He changed his mind, and he went. And the point that Jesus is making is that even though we make mistakes, it is important that there comes a point in our life where we turn around and say, I've got it wrong, and I will do what God requires of me. Now, we must understand that Jesus didn't totally write off the Pharisees. If you read the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he actually says in verse 20 that your righteousness must exceed that of the Pharisees. He saw them as good religious people. He saw them as people who were concerned to do the right thing. But religion, law, righteousness does not save anyone. Paul makes this perfectly clear when he he writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. He says, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. And the point that Jesus is making with this older brother, he was wanting to count his merit. You see how he talks in verse um, 28. He was angry and would not go in, therefore came his father out and entreated him. 
and then he lists what he has done. Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I any of thy commandments, and yet you never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. And if you want to understand uh, what is going on here, if you want to understand the place of the law, I wonder how many of you have completed a journey and you've kept all the speed limits and you have got home and a fortnight later a letter has dropped through your letterbox and said, well done for keeping all the speed limits. doesn't happen, does it? Because the law doesn't do that. But I'm sure there are some of us who have um, infringed the speed limit or maybe run through a, a red light and that envelope has come through the door and it has pointed out where we have gone wrong. And that's what the law of God does. It doesn't build up our merit. So tonight, friends, I want you to understand that Jesus is saying to these religious leaders that all your righteousness is like filthy rags. And those of us who try to build up merit with God, he says, no, there's no point. You will not get it. And again, he pointed this out in the Sermon on the Mount. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and do many great works in your name? And I will say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. Now the Father in this story does not say to the older brother, get out. He wants him to come in. He wants him to be a part of the rejoicing. Each of the other stories, the lost uh, sheep and the lost coin, we're told that there was rejoicing in heaven. In the, the story of the lost son, there is rejoicing on earth. And the father says, come in. But he says, no, I won't. And friends, we can get so caught up with trying to be righteous and to do the right thing that we miss out on the blessings and the grace that Christ wants to give us. This man receives sinners and restores sinners, but the self-righteous, the older brothers, miss out. And tonight, I want to say to you, if you are relying on your religious practice and your religious faithfulness, beware, beware. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So, the prodigal's brother. Now I want us to look at the prodigal's path. And this is perhaps the part of the story that we are most familiar with. Uh, verses 13 to 21. And I want to point out tonight that this is not a description of particularly bad human beings. You know, um, in the last week or so, Putin has been uh, described as effectively the worst human being that has um, walked the earth in the 21st century. 
And it's easy for us to point at somebody like that and say, look at him. No, this story is a description of me and of you. Scripture is horribly clear that there is none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If you want to put yourself somewhere in this story, the safest place is to put yourself um, with this young man. So often for us, the story begins in the middle of verse 13, where we are told that uh, the young man took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Friends, that isn't where the story starts. The story uh, or the problem of this young man starts in verse 12. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that is coming to me. His heart was wrong. He was more interested in his father's wealth than he was in his father's company, than he was in his father's wisdom. This young man's heart was not right. And friends, I have to say to you tonight, um, in, on the, the, the basis of Scripture, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We have got a heart of stone that needs to be replaced by the Holy Spirit with a heart of flesh. This young man wanted life without his father. In effect, he was saying, Father, I wish you were dead. He wanted his life giver and his life sustainer to be taken from his life. He'd not seen how valuable a daily relationship with his father was. The servants were there. They prepared the food. Um, the house was kept ready. The crops were sown and they were reaped. Life was kept in order because his father was in authority. And in effect, Jesus is making it clear that Christianity is not simply a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But it is a relationship with God the Father. This young man, as soon as he went off and left the uh, restraints and constraints, the love and the mercy of his father, he just went into riotous living. The, the barriers, the limits, the guidelines were taken away and he destroyed himself. Let me remind you of two verses of scripture. One was right back in the Garden of Eden. And God said to Adam, you can eat of all the trees, the fruit of all the trees, except for that one. Because in the day that you eat thereof, you will surely die. That's one verse. Romans 6. 23, the wages of sin is death. Friends, when we try to live without God, we destroy ourselves. I remember going to 
the second school that I taught at. I was head of the religious education department, um, but I was asked to teach a program. I can't remember what it was called now. And the headmaster said to me, but basically, it's morality without God. And I thought at the time, oh, that's all right. But I've come to realize, friends, you cannot have morality without God. God is the truth. God is righteousness. God has created this world. Our society, and as I said this morning, the church in our society is destroying itself because of trying to live without God. Day by day, the rules change. Enlightenment has come. No, friends. Enlightenment has not come. Jesus is the light of the world. The word of God is a light to our path, the psalmist says. And when we try to put out that light, we live in darkness. And I'm no scientist, but I'm told that light is essential for life. And if we put out the light, if we live in the darkness, we see the fruit of it. We die. The rules are neglected. They're opposed. This young man, the prodigal, comes to a turning point. And when he came to himself, effectively when he sat down and looked what had was happening, he was sitting with the pigs and he was eating what they were eating. What a tragic place to be. And yet that is what sin does to us. You go to the squats and to the drug dens of our cities. And what do you see? You see people who are destroying themselves. You go to the affluent gated streets of many of our cities. And what are they doing? They are destroying themselves. They've got everything that this world can offer, but they have no peace. This young man came to himself. He saw what he was. And he sits down and he reasons with himself. And, friend, when you're going through it, a little bit of good advice. Talk to yourself. Don't let it just mull over in your mind. But sit down, and obviously it's better to talk with God. But there are times, now what is going on? What is happening? And that's what this young man says. Um, and he came to himself, and he said, and he worked out, you know, Father's got loads of servants, and they're better fed than I am. And he says, I will go home, and I will say to my father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And he, he gives the answer. Make me as one of your hired servants. But we cannot tell God what we are to do or what he is to do in our lives. This man has come to the first 
message of Christianity. I wonder if I was to ask you tonight, what is the first message of Christianity? What is the first message of the New Testament? I wonder how you would answer. Well, there are three clear records of it. In preparation for the Lord Jesus Christ coming, John the Baptist preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The Lord Jesus Christ, when he began his ministry, preached, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, after the Holy Spirit had been poured out, after the church had been empowered with a power that they had never known before. His sermon was interrupted. He was asked, what must I do? And he again said, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And this young man has come to the point of repentance. It's not working. My ideas are not bearing fruit. I'm not getting what I need. And this young man had to learn differently. Learn to think differently. And to understand what was going on. And friends, as I said this morning, I believe the church in our day and age needs to understand afresh the importance and the ongoing need of repentance. Of sitting down and thinking differently. He got to that point, he acted on his repentance, on his change of heart, on his change of understanding. But I want you to notice what actually happened. He arose, he came to his father, that's the first thing that he said he would do. Um, and then his father ran, kissed him, then the son does the second thing. The son said to his father in verse 21, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And that's as far as he gets. Because what he wanted to do after that was to say, Father, you have got to make me one of your servants. Friends, we cannot tell God what he is going to do with us. We may have blown it. But this father had one concern. He wanted to restore his son. He wanted to bring him back. Friends, don't tell God what he's going to do in your life. Don't tell God what he's going to do in your church. Don't tell God what he's going to do in your family. We need to come to him and we need to um, confess our sin before him. And we need to pray, lead me, Lord, in the way that you want me to go. The essence of Christianity is that we cannot set the terms. God has already done that, and he will not change. If anyone has missed the boat, it's we who have missed the road. We who have allowed certain other things to come into our lives. So we've seen the prodigal's father. We've seen the prodigal's path. Now I want... Um, so the prodigal's brother, the prodigal's path. Now I want us to see the prodigal's father. And um, I was tempted to call this the, the prodigal father because 
the word prodigal is not a term of sinfulness. It's a term of overflowing. It, it comes from the same word as prodigious. Um, and uh, we are told by Paul that our God will supply all our needs according to his riches in glory. And Christianity is not just about God the Son. It is about God the Father. And in verse 20, we have this wonderful picture uh, of the father running and uh, falling on his neck and kissing him. Now, many people um, will give you the impression of a, a bemoaning, a bewailing father. Oh, is he coming home now? Is he, is he ready? Uh, is he coming back? This isn't the picture that we have here. The picture that Scripture gives to us is not a helpless God, but a prepared God. Again, let me take you back to Genesis chapter 3. Adam has fallen and um, sin has entered the world. But God says to the serpent, I will send the seed of the woman and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Even there, God had prepared the way of salvation. The Lord Jesus Christ said, I am going to my Father, and um, I will prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you to myself. Peter, after all his mistakes, is able to write in uh, 1 Peter 5 and verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Friends, God has prepared such a great salvation for us. It's ready. It's available. And it is described here. The Father um, speaks to his servants. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. What is he saying? He's saying... Look at the state of my son. Look what sin has done to him. But cover him up. Hide the effect of sin. Friends, tonight, how does God see us as Christians? Does he see us in our virtue and in our merit? No. He sees us in Christ. For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. What a glorious position to be. Wrapped up in the righteousness of Christ. Put a ring on his finger. What does that ring mean? What does that tell you? It tells you that somebody has got a claim on me. It tells you that I have committed myself to somebody else. And that is what the Father wanted. He wanted the world to know, that's my boy. He may have made a mess of things, but he is still my boy. And he looked at his feet. And he thought, what a mess. Look what he's come to. But Paul describes the sandals in the armor of God as the gospel of peace. And God wants to say to you tonight and to say to me, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, that's the Father that we deal with. He's not come to, He's not sent His Son to condemn us. He sent His Son to restore us. 
and he wants everyone to know that wayward drunkard, that person who has lived an abhorrent, uh, perverse life, he's come to me, and I have forgiven him. My sin, oh, the bliss of his glorious thoughts. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Friends, that's the prodigal's father. That's the father that we worship. He wants to restore us. Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Each of these stories tells us about rejoicing in heaven. But look what it says. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. For this your son was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. But the older son would not go in. He missed out on the rejoicing and he refused to go in. Verse 28, he was angry and he would not go in. Therefore came his father out. Friends, tonight, I want to ask you, are you missing out on the joy of restoration that the prodigal son knew? Or are you missing out on the joy of seeing sinners come home because you are counting your merit. We've got it right. I've got it right. I'm not going to go that way. Friends, God is still sovereign. He is still able to save who he wants to save in the way he wants to save. They'll never be saved other than through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit may draw them many different ways come to our Savior. I beg of you, if you are like a prodigal's brother, stop living in self-righteous law. If you're like the prodigal, stop living in self-destructive liberty. Come in repentance and enjoy all that God has prepared for you and all that God preserves for you. And may we all rejoice in the goodness, the grace, and the mercy of our God. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn now to a tune that perhaps you don't know. It's the hymn 562. And um, Roger is going to play the whole of the verse through. So if you remain seated and... Um, we will listen to the tune. Uh, I think some of us know it, so we'll be able to um, hopefully help you along with it. But it is a glorious tune that declares glorious truth. It is finished. The Messiah dies, cut off for sins, but not his own. Thank you, Roger.
us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.